So today we're uh, wrapping up our series on Fear Not, and I want you to think of words that grab your attention. We all have words for, that grab our attention, that pique our interest for whatever reason. Either they're like a favorite word or an emotive word. It brings up an emotion in you or uh, a word that brings a memory back, something. So just, we all have words. Mike, throw up some of those words. N- nincompoop? <laughs> These are some... Of the, of the words that might, chocolate is right there, well, that's one for me. Actually, there's two words for me that always catch my attention. The word perfect and the word fear. Now you think, confession time. For those of you who don't know, I am a recovering perfectionist. Now, Some of you laugh because you yourselves are perfectionists and have not yet attained the recovering step. I encourage you. I know, then you wouldn't be perfect. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. How many of you are perfectionists? A couple. How many of you are perfectionists but don't want to admit it? Yes. Well... The simple definition of a perfectionist is a person who refuses to accept any standard short of perfection. On the surface, that sounds good. Like, who wouldn't want to hire a perfectionist? Who wouldn't want to be married to a perfectionist? (laughs) Perfectionists get things done and we do them right. Right, perfectionists? Right? Yes. But below the surface, there is a maladaptive side to perfectionism. So if you Google the perfectionist definition, that's what you will get. But if you go past the first definition, you will find there's a bigger definition. And that definition says that perfectionism is a personality trait characterized by a person striving for flawlessness, setting high performance standards, accompanied by critical self-evaluations and fears regarding others' evaluations of them. And then that goes on and on and on, and, and, and it has about eight more lines, and at the very end it just says, and it ends in depression. <laughs> but you will see in there two words, perfect and fear. And they are two descriptive words of the life of a perfectionist. Why? Because... We crave the perfect. We believe that it somehow is possible. And we fear anything less, especially if it involves somebody else's critique of our attempt at perfection. Because we take that as a personal failure. So when someone makes a bold statement like the one that you find in 1 John chapter 4 that involves both the words fear and perfect in one statement, you get, at least for me, my perfectionistic radar goes off. Both my radar of hope that still hopes that it's perfect somehow, we should be able to get there, 
but also because I've been a perfectionist long enough and I know that it's impossible to be perfect, hence why I'm a recovering perfectionist, my radar of doubt goes off that this is not possible. Perfect can't be achieved. When we started the sermon series, Fear Not, and based it on 1 John 4.18, which is on the front of the program, you'll, we had that little caption of the verse, the first half of uh, 4.18, which basically says, love has no fear. Such love has no fear. But I knew that there was a second half to that verse. The second half of the verse says, because perfect love expels all fear or casts out all fear. And if you look at that verse, it is chock full of very definitive words. Like it's not, it doesn't leave room. It doesn't say maybe or some or no fear. Not some of your fears. Perfect. Not, well, kind of almost. All fear. Like these are definitive words. And so as a recovering perfectionist, I had my doubts. The verse did create some problems for me. I'll be honest. It brought up two questions. Is it possible? And if it's possible, how is it possible? So let's look at these two questions. Open up your Bibles if you have them. Turn on your devices if you need to. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And let's, uh, yeah, let's tackle that first question. Is it possible? We'll start at verse 16. It says, we know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. So question one, is perfect love that casts out all fear even possible? For us perfectionists, surprisingly, the answer is yes. It is. Now let's be honest here. Why would that be surprising to us perfections? Because we know there's not a single person amongst us who is perfect. If you are a perfectionist more than anybody else, you know that perfect is impossible. Because you strive for it on a daily basis and you never quite get there. You never quite, nothing is quite good enough. So it should be surprising to us that perfect love is possible. I openly admit, I'm not perfect. I cannot produce anything that's perfect. It's taken me decades of my life to figure that out. I can't even produce something as simple as love in a perfect state. Now, I know that's surprising to you guys. I know that you think that Sylvia's life must just be incredible because she is married to me. And that the love, that it's just... Well, it doesn't quite work that way. The love that John is talking about is the Father's love. Okay, verse 16. 
We know how much God loves us. We put our trust in his love. God is love. All who live in love live in God. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love becomes more perfect. So if we're going to use my love and my understanding and my ability to love, which is usually where perfectionists start in our own abilities, then no, perfect love is never going to be possible. It will never be possible. But that doesn't negate the fact that God's love is perfect. How much does God love us? Someone hold up John 3.16. We know how much God loves us. He loves us so much that he would sacrifice a part of himself for us. So what if I put aside my flawed love and immerse myself and receive God's perfect love? Then could perfect love be possible on earth? Yeah, I could. Because we have the right starting point. We have the right ingredient to base it all on. I start with God's love, which is perfect, but... Remember, I'm a perfectionist. There's a but. I recognize that I get into the picture at that point. And I'm not perfect. So I am bound to screw up the perfection that God gives to me the perfect love he passes. Like, if I'm going to get my hands on it and try to live that out, somehow I am bound to screw that up. Nevertheless, that doesn't negate the answer to the first question. Is perfect love possible? Yes, perfect love is possible when the source is God's love. But the second question, that's a whole other dilemma. How is it possible because none of us are perfect. So how is this possible? The answer lies in the word perfect. And so we're going to look a little bit closer at this word. As a perfectionist would do. In the zone, zero in. Let's focus on the word. When I say the word perfect or perfected, we are conditioned in our culture to think a certain way. We are conditioned to think of without flaw. We are conditioned to think of the state of something. Perfected is taking something that is flawed, imperfect, and getting it to the place where it is now perfect. Right? That's how we think. So when you go and you buy something that's perfect, you buy a brand new car and it's shiny, the paint is perfect, you have painstakingly picked out the exact color you want, and it you get the keys and you drive it home and you park it in your garage and the next day you come out and you realize that your spouse or your child has opened the door of the other car beside it and hit your perfect brand new paint job. It is now imperfect. And so what do you do? We'll skip that part. <laughs> After you talk to your children and your wife, then you take the car back to the dealership. And they painstakingly buff that scratch out. And then they polish the car. And then they hand it back to you in a perfected state once again. That's what we think of when we say the word perfect. But the Greek word, teleaa, doesn't mean that. 
It's not often that I ask you to learn Greek, but this time I'm going to ask you to learn some New Testament Greek. The Greek word throughout the New Testament is used in the sense of carrying something through completely, to accomplish something, to finish what it was intended to do. So, for example, in John, and, and there's, you can take your uh, New Testament Greek lexicons off your shelves when you get home and double-check this. Uh, but every time you use it in the New Testament, it comes up with this kind of a meaning. One of the examples is John 4, verse 34. Jesus says, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from teleoa, from accomplishing or finishing his work perfecting his work. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus got this mission from God the Father and said, wow, that's flawed. I need to somehow make it perfect because nothing comes from the Father flawed. He's simply saying that I received from the Father this task and by me putting action, putting feet and hands to it, by living it out, I am accomplishing what the Father has given me to do. So let's use a modern day example. Spring break. Many of you have probably thought in your minds, let's take a trip during spring break. But you're here. (laughs) You have not perfected the concept of taking a trip. You have simply frustrated your travel agent. We can plan out a trip all we want, but until we actually go on the trip, we have not accomplished, we have not perfected the concept, the idea of the trip. And even when we go on the trip, it could be the worst trip of our lives. We may have spent the entire time in Mexico in the little bathroom of the hotel. But the trip was still perfected in that we took it. So a trip, even though it can be flawed, is perfected, teleaa, in the sense that you accomplished it. You actually lived it out. You did what it was intended to do. When you thought of it, when you sat down at your table and said, let's go on this trip so that it can do this and this, the actual doing of the trip is the perfect. Not that it would be the perfect trip like we think in our North American mindset. Does that make sense? Am I the only perfectionist in the room who has trouble with this? John isn't talking about love being flawlessly perfect. Yes, God the Father's love is flawlessly perfect. But when I receive it, I receive it as an imperfect vessel, as an imperfect being. And yes, you can talk to my wife and kids, I screw it up daily. But he's not talking about the state of the love. John is actually saying that when I enter into God's presence and when I receive his perfect love, when I determine to then live that out, to walk that out, even in my flawed state, then I am perfecting his love. I am accomplishing what he intended his love to do. You see, God knew that we would never be perfect. 
He understood that. And he knew that the moment he would give us something perfect, it would not be perfect, simply because of who we are as sinful beings. And in his divine way, he said, but my love will be perfect when they act it out. That's the degree. That's the standard of perfection. God's love being completed, being, uh, having us accomplishing what it was intended to do. Is perfect love that casts out fear possible? Yes. Whenever we choose to act it out. I know that's hard for us to believe because we think of the state that the love has to be done perfectly. It has to be carried out. No. Every time we choose to receive God's love and then act, live it out in some way towards somebody, we are perfecting God's love. It is perfected. That's the New Testament Greek understanding. It's not about love in a flawless state. It's about love in action. It's about love being worked out in real life because that's the purpose of God's love for us, that we would then share it with others. I would never have designed it that way. And yet it's so incredible that he's done it that way. Pastor Rick Warren has one of my all-time favorite sayings. God always uses who? Imperfect people when? In imperfect situations to do what? To accomplish, to tele-a-a, his perfect will. How does imperfect plus imperfect equal perfect? Only in God's economy. Only with God's design. It's because it's designed so that when we live it out, not when we make it perfect, when we live it out, when we act on it, it's perfected. Oh, and by the way, that's also how it casts out fear. Fear is always related to punishment. Always. When you fear something, you are afraid that you will fail or something will go wrong and there will be a punishment coming out of that. Okay? Be it I'm scared of roller coasters, so I'm, I'm fearful that I'm going to get to the top, and it's going to go down, and then it's going to come off the rails, and my punishment for being dumb enough to get on the roller coaster is that we're going to go flying off the rails, and I'm going to die. Fear always is related to punishment. But when God says, here's my love, immerse yourself in it, receive it, and then live it out. Share it with somebody else. Even in your imperfect ways. But just get feet and hands, action into the love. Then it's perfected. And he says, I will never judge you for that. I will never judge you for that. There is never a threat from God the Father that we will be punished for receiving his love and sharing it with other people even if we screw it up royally. Isn't that amazing? When you act lovingly t 
toward someone, even how messed up you are, how messed up I am, you will never hear in your brain a signal from the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, you're going to get it for this. Never. Perfect love is love in action. And love in action is never threatened with punishment by God. In fact, the opposite is true. When we love each other in practical ways, it actually grows us more into the image of Christ. The verse earlier, I think 16 said, it makes our love become more perfect. It changes us. So we're talking walk love, not just talk love. That's God's design. That's how he determined that his love would become perfect, perfected, simply by us putting hands and feet, living it out, walking it out. When it passes from talk to walk, which has been our ultimate hope of this Fear Not series. You might say that Pastor Brad and I, when we were planning this, we wanted this to be the perfect series. We wanted it to be perfected. We wanted you guys to learn something of the various areas that we've talked about and then enact it somehow in your relationships with each other, in your relationships, in your daily life. We didn't want the series to be perfect. We simply wanted it to be lived out. And so with that, we want to hear from you. This was the, the post that you saw on Facebook and what Pastor Brad was talking about earlier. We want to, we've spent since January 7th. Mike, give us a list of all the... Here's, all, here's a list of all the different things that we've done since January 7th. Is there anything in there or what is in there that has struck you, that has said, wow, okay, I had a fear in this, or I didn't know much about this, but now I know something, and God has been speaking to me, and I've been living that out. I've been enacting that. I have been loving. Have you loved anybody different? It might even be your very self. That's, that's possible, too. We talked about mental health and anxiety, and you could very well have said, wow, I've learned something and I need to act on it and I'm going to take myself and I'm going to go to see a counselor and I'm going to get help. That is love in action towards yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all wrapped up in there. So Pastor Brad's going to come around with the mic and, and you can sh pick any one of those. Is there something in there that has sparked you over these last, what, almost three months? Where you would say, yeah, I remember that sermon. I learned something, and it's changing how I'm living my life. I just want to um, say that I appreciated the anxiety and mental health um, message. Um, I was one of those people who grew up thinking, if you have anxiety, clearly you don't have faith in God. And um, I, since then, have struggled with my own anxiety, and I... You know, I can look back at my own life and go, God was there when that happened. God was so there when that happened. And God, so why should I be having anxiety? But um, it, I just, I'm glad that you gave that message because it's good for Christians and anybody to know that anxiety happens and it's not about a lack of faith. And it's okay to go and get help. And I see a counselor every two weeks, whether I think I need to or not. <laughs> Sometimes I want to counsel and Wendy's like, no. <laughs> but um, it's really helpful and I think that I've learned through my own anxiety that it's I'm worth 
taking you know, two counseling sessions a month to make sure that I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that message. Thanks, Deb. Appreciate that. So what I have is more of an anecdote rather than a, um, a story. I don't know. Um, I was just thinking about a visit down at uh, Wagner Hills at the House of Hope Day. Um, and we've been there many times before. I have, you know, but I found that particular Sunday was the deepest that I'd ever felt that I kind of dug into that community and the, 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 the connections and the conversations we had were, well, for me, um, much deeper um, than any before. And one really interesting one was um, talking to some of the people who had come along uh, here to the January 14th and heard Razor speak. Um, and just how impactful that had been, um, not just to me, but to, to those young men who came there. And so just having that conversation about um, Muslim neighbors with these people who'd shared their stories of addiction, it was just kind of just showing, it was very impactful to me and powerful, just how we can all be, we're all part of community, we've all got um, different issues that we're dealing with. Um, but I felt, you know, that, that Sunday that we were really working together and that there was a real sense of community there and that was, that was powerful for me. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Sally. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that Wagner Hills uh, is a great example of that. I know that afterwards when we as staff processed and we talked about what went well, what didn't go well, all that kind of stuff, and, and we talked to some of you and, and, we're, and some of the feedback was, well, the, the, the serving time was kind of confusing or wasn't super well organized or, and did we kind of not really accomplish our purpose and all that. But you know what the feedback was from Wagner? Simply a huge success because we just came and we worshiped with them and we just were, were there. We, we act, acted lovingly. Like that was the success. That, like they didn't care if the windows were perfect. They didn't care if this furniture got moved here. They didn't care. They didn't address any of that stuff. What they were overwhelmed with was that we as church would be church in their midst and there would be relationships of, of love taking place. And in, to, that, to me, that's God's love being perfected. Well, <clears throat> there were many uh, topics that caught my attention, but I think the one that stuck out um, as most, uh, the most for me was uh, on, on the uh, loving our indigenous neighbors. The blanket exercise, I'm kind of a visual and that whole thing with the blankets and moving off and blankets getting smaller and smaller. So it was a good visual representation of, uh, of uh, I guess, the challenges and the, the stuff that was done to our indigenous population over the, the last century. And yeah, you know, we have, many of us have been around for a while and, and I was on school board dealing with indigenous issues and some of the things that are done in schools and it was, I, I had some thoughts there, you know, about that at the time, which now I'm feeling a little more receptive to uh, understanding where they're coming from and and uh, uh, giving them even more grace than they than I was before, as far as some of the things that uh, are going on in their lives and their challenges they're dealing with. So yeah, it was good. It was good for me to see that that whole blanket exercise. It was, it was dramatic, and it definitely had impact. So I'll say that. Thanks, John. 
Um, so I live at Trinity, and my roommate has depression. So the anxiety and mental health one really helped because our relationship was just getting very strained. Like, she wouldn't really move except to go to class. She wouldn't eat properly. She just, like, wasn't taking care of herself. And, like, I would try and help her, and then she would just get very snappy with me. And it was just, like, so I was, like, talking to all these people. I was, like, I don't know what to do here. Like, I really love her, and I don't want to want she like, get obviously happy moments and I was like I'm not gonna bring her down while she's happy so I was like what do I do and then we had like the January 28 talk and I was like oh my goodness so I just like I started praying really hard and then shortly after um, I think it was even on Valentine's Day we just had like a really good talk um, and we just like a really good like bonding moment and we just got everything out and now she is socializing more and she like will eat three meals a day and she went to the gym with me the other day it was crazy so I don't know it really just like helped our relationship and she's now doing a lot better so yeah thank you yeah that's a great example God's love working through you just because you stepped out and talked and yeah somebody else Um, I don't really have necessarily a specific example, but I just think it's been really encouraging because I feel like lots of time we come to church and figure out how things can be better for us and how God can change us and make us a better person. And yeah, it's kind of like coming here to perfect myself, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so it's just been really encouraging, I think, to go through these and see how it's more like, how can I live out? How can I live out? How can I help others be more selfless? And just, I've just, yeah, just been challenged to be to be a servant, and um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, for those of us who are perfectionists, it's, it's a bit of a mind warp. Like, our head is, it, like, we don't think straight. <laughs> Let's be honest. We just don't. Because we think, how can I make myself perfect? How can I make that situation perfect? How can I fix? How can I? And God just says, no, stop. Receive my love and just share it with somebody else. And that's where the perfection comes. That's where he's in his element. He can do the perfect. It has nothing to do with me being perfect. It has nothing to do with me trying to make the outside world come to a state of perfection. It's simply me receiving from God and sharing that, living that out in practical ways, talking, standing beside someone who's suffering depression, walking more graciously with someone from First Nations where maybe I wouldn't have had that grace before. Whatever it might be, right? Anybody else? Um, <clears throat> I think that God had already started speaking a little bit to me about uh, before the, right before the, ser the series started about, I guess, some Prejudice might be the correct word that I had towards really broken people. And it was quite shocking to me when I realized that deep down, I still wasn't 100% sure they could ever be whole. And so as I'd been talking to God and kind of becoming more aware of this and wanting it to change, this 
the series was a really good one to sort of immerse myself in. And um, I found myself loving and being able to receive God's hope and the faith and the truth that he does redeem completely. And it helped both me to begin to realize in my own life areas where I really wasn't paying attention um, of brokenness because either I don't want to pay attention because I don't believe it's going to be healed. Um, and so being able to experience God's healing personally, but then also healing my relationships with others and a, being given a, a love for people because I see them now as sacrament, sacrament being something physical that helps us to see the spiritual reality around us. So communion, a physical thing that helps us to realize the real tangible body and blood of Christ. And those broken people, they are sacrament. They are Jesus. When I'm feeding them, when I'm helping them, when I'm in their presence, I'm in the presence of Jesus. And um, as a result of that, I have less concern about fixing. And I've appreciated what I've learned about the importance of just being and loving and seeing Jesus in them and, um, and being humbled by the areas of, of my own brokenness and, and, and the prejudice that I did have and still struggle through. Thanks, Ruth Ellen. Yeah, I think one of the greatest um, deceptions that we buy into in our society is that if I can't fix it, it's not worth doing. So when I'm standing uh, or sitting in my car at the corner of 64th and 200th, turning, waiting to turn left, and I see the same homeless person, or you know they kind of rotate, but there's only a few of them. They all have their corners, and they I don't know if they do up their schedules. And, and I think, you know, if I stop and talk to this person, or if I roll down my window, and I'm not going to solve. They're not going to jump up for joy and say, yeah, yeah, I'm never going to be homeless. Like, I can't fix that. And so what do I do? I just, nothing. God doesn't ask me to fix the, po the problem of homelessness in Langley. He is not asking you to solve that. All he's saying, love that person. Let me fix the problems. Let me deal with it. Let me redeem them. Let me f enter into the places of brokenness. You just love them. Every time, just love them in your imperfect state. And let love be per perfected in that. One more. Anybody? Let's pray together. And uh, we'll invite the worship team to come on up with Jared and the rest of the crew. And our, our prayer people will be uh, available in the sides at the back. And if, uh, if there's something from the series that is still, you know, you're wrestling through or you're, take some time to pray about it. Take some time to get somebody else's perspective in the back there and, and uh, let them walk with you and, and share. None of us are perfect and uh, this series was definitely not an attempt to get us to become perfect by overcoming our fears. Simply as a series that we want to see us become active in our love that we know that the Father has for us. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We declare the truth that you and your love for us are perfect. And we declare the truth that we are imperfect beings in your presence. And yet somehow in the divine mystery of the way you ordained creation, you invite us, you ask us, 
You require us to be a part of sharing your love so that the process can be perfected. Lord, take our eyes off of the state and off of the fixing and take our eyes off of the problems and off of the fears. Immerse us even more so in your love, Father, in a love that knows no fear. There's nothing in this world, seen or unseen, that causes you fear. There's no place, there's no person that causes you angst. Love us with that love, we pray. And help us to live that out with each other here in Jericho as your church and beyond in the dorm rooms, in our classrooms, with our neighbors, people at the park. Help us to simply just love it up. We give you praise, we give you thanks that you don't call us to be perfect. You just call us to act in love. In Jesus' name we pray with thanks, amen.